I had a strange thing happen just before we were. It was part of why I was late recording this morning. Um, I was reading. I was reading something. I was reading a book. And I was reading a comic actually. And as I was going through it, I didn't realize that it was going to be the end of the series. So as I was, as, as I got, I, I got to a point where I thought I was going to put the book down and then start talking to you. But when I realized, oh shoot, they're building towards the conclusion, not just of this book, but of the whole series. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever gone into like the end of something, not knowing you're going into the end? I don't know. I really don't think so. No, I don't think anybody may- does. I think it's just me and my <laughs> oblivious nature. <laughs> I don't know. Is it a, was it a long series? Did was it? It was a it was a comic that went over five volumes, and I I came to it a little bit late. So the first four were were published by the time I started reading it, and then book five just came out, and I I started reading it. And I was like, oh shoot, they're 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 ending. Oh my god! Like and like as it was going along, I was like, oh crap, this is the last one. So on on one hand, I wanted to put the book down and start talking to you, but on the other hand, I was like, well, I'm I'm this close now. I gotta finish it, and I needed to get to the end. That's fine. I think you can be excused for that. Thank you. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 174 of the Matinee Cast. It's a movie-loving podcast on my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Dear listeners, it is already April. And I'm sure in some ways it's hard to believe that it is only April, but in other ways it's curious to see time fly so quickly. Uh, For this podcast, the arrival of April brings hope. Hope that dedicating time to craziness like a cure for wellness is over and that we can dedicate time to more nourishing conversation. And for that, we need a guest who brings energy and nourishment to the show. She is clever. She is bright. She's enthusiastic. And she is just who I want to be talking to on a rainy spring weekend such as this. She is the brains behind Almost Ginger, a site you can find at almostginger.com. Direct across a wire from Manchester, England, Rebecca Sharp is here. How are you, Rebecca Sharp? I'm very well. Thank you, Ryan. And uh, as I said, I, I apologize for keeping you late. So um, I, I will try to be a gracious host. I would I would offer you tea, but apparently you're already having yours. I am. Yeah, it's my my podcasting ritual. So let's get a cup of tea. Which yours I don't too. Know. Okay, good. I don't, I, you know, when I when I first started this thing, I used to get crap because I I would drink tea with my show. Everybody was like, why 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 didn't I man up and either drink coffee or drink beer? But I said, no, tea serves me just fine. <laughs> So it's quite it's quite early in the morning for you, I have to say, for beer. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. On episode 174, we will be discussing T2 train spotting. But first, we need to learn more about Rebecca. This is Know Your Enemy. Rebecca first appeared on episode 159, a birthday show where we discussed Almost Famous. We discovered then that the first film she'd ever seen in a theater was 101 Dalmatians, the live-action version starring Glenn Close. The last film she'd seen at the time was American Psycho. The worst film she'd ever seen was Journey to the Center of the Earth, the version with Brendan Fraser. The unseen classic or essential was Raging Bull. Have you managed to scratch that one off in the last year? I have, and I love it. Nice. And the film that she wished she had made was A Matter of Life and Death, a Powell Pressburger classic. So it's time for round two, Miss Sharp. What is a film you like that seemingly nobody else does? 
I did quite think about saying something a bit cleverer than what I'm actually going to say uh, today, but I was encouraged not to. And a film that I love that no one else, I don't think, like is Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think I was going to say one of like Woody Allen's like efforts, because obviously he's done, a, he's done a lot of crap that I, that I, that I quite like. But um, no, Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous. I watch it at least, at least once or twice a year. Um, and I, I love it. I think it's so much fun. And I think I just I also think it is a lot better than what people give it credit for. But that might be three rose tinted spectacles. I'm not quite sure. That like I I, I, I got nothing. That that is that is such a that is such a specific choice. I I don't you know what the funny thing is I've never even seen the first one all the way through. Like I know some of the moments I know like Michael Caine doing his thing and I know yeah. how um, I know some of the the scenes involving Sandra Bullock but I've never seen part two and, and I think there's I, I might even think that there's a copy in this apartment so if somebody sees that turn up on my letterbox feed that's why but why why that one why like it, it's a it's a sequel it's not that that successful of a sequel what is it about that one that that you enjoy so much is there like a, a happy memory atti- attached to it or something God, I don't know. I mean, this one doesn't even have Michael Caine in it to save it. So I don't, I don't, I think, um, I think I went to see it on a birthday and invited my friends around to go and see it at the cinema. But I think Miss Congeniality was one of the first films I, I had on DVD um, when, when DVDs first like started coming out, I guess. And mm-hmm. um, we had a bo- box set and it was one of them. Um, and I thought the premise of it was absolutely fantastic. And the reason I didn't choose Miss Congeniality is because I thought maybe it was more loved than it actually is. Maybe I should have just gone for Miss Congeniality. Maybe that would no, have still, I, I still suffice. Yeah, I, I think that first one does have quite a uh, like a little fandom to it. It's the part two where everybody's like, no, I'm good. Um, that's, <laughs> um, wow. It's um yeah, it's essentially where she's just in in Vegas and her and her um her best friend from the pageant who won um, the, the Miss United States pageant has been kidnapped um, along with William Shatner. Um, they've been kidnapped and she, as a member of the, member of the FBI, is um, trying to just decipher why and who has stolen them looking for fake dolly parton they come across real dolly parton and they attack her in the street so, and then and it's it's a really obvious bit where she's chasing dolly who she thinks is a fake dolly and then and then right at the end obviously they've, they've managed to pay for dolly parton to come in at the very end and then you know she's attacked her and it's just it's just so much it's so much fun oh, like wow. that's just that's it that like, it's just so it's just so much fun it is completely um it's completely unforgiving in what it is and it's just it's just set in vegas and you know it's showgirls and drag shows and it's just really fun that's it fair fair (laughs) enough i i i I might take the bait but uh, i'm pretty sure you're the first person i've ever met who's ever said they they like a miscongeniality too um on the other side of the coin what's the film that everybody else enjoys that you don't I think you especially might not like me for this one because um, I think uh, the director is Canadian, but I don't like Sicario. Interesting. The director is Canadian, and and he's uh, it, he's I doing was, very well. <laughs> he's doing very very well. I was actually I've been speaking about him in the way that I'm pretty sure Canada has lost him to the uh, to the Hollywood system. Um, mm. Denny Villeneuve is the director, and he's about to make uh, this year. He's he's finishing off a new Blade Runner movie. Um, 
I know Sicario. Sicario is a film that I really loved. Um, uh, you know, we we did a podcast about it last year, and that was one of my favorite films of that year. Uh, but what what is it that you don't like about that movie? I went into it knowing that it had gotten some fantastic reviews, so I don't know if that hindered it in any way. But I think the main thing for me um, was. I mean, Emily Blunt's character, I thought, was just awful. She spent the entire film just saying, like, but what am I doing here? Like, why why am I here? Like, but I don't understand. Why am I here? And it's like, oh, for God, she's just so whiny. The characters, a lot of them had gone through, gone through a lot, and they were very... Um, not emotionless characters, but they'd obviously... They were very cold. Yeah, very cold, had obviously very t- terrible lives, and e- even the you know the penultimate scene at the end which a lot of which um yeah i guess was quite shocking i guess but uh, to me it was just i have no feeling to to any of this and i don't i don't necessarily mean i need to have feeling to a lot of characters if it's a good film but the the plot just went right over my head i just didn't like yeah yeah no i feel anything i i get that i mean like at the end of the day it's another movie about generally bad people doing bad things um even though you know some of these people are doing these things in the name of the law but mm-hmm. but but yeah I, I i get that even as much as i love it and, and especially hearing people like me say oh but it's so good and it's so wonderful <laughs> like that that can't be helping so you know that that's that's a good one like that that's the that's always the conundrum right with writing about mm-hmm. mo- like new film and modern film is that you build something up and then by the time it becomes like more widely seen people are like what is everybody going on about i you know i i, I do wonder about that with even something like moonlight well, the, the people who hadn't seen it and saw it win best picture might come to it and say that's it um yeah. even, even though you know it's a film especially it's if, if i say that was my favorite film of last year which it was mm-hmm. so okay no I, I i i won't be one of the ones who who chastises you for for okay. not liking the film that everybody else does i i i get your your apathy <laughs> okay <laughs> um what was the last film to make you cry um i believe this is why this is why i got letterboxed for things like this because yeah. i can give you a film and i can give you a date Candy, like ain't it? you know <laughs> i know it's really good um so i think the last film to make me cry on the 26th of february um <laughs> was 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 a rewatch of stand by me <laughs> Aww. Of all films. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I I think... I, I don't know. It's just... Weren't, weren't summers with your friends great? I mean, I'm at the grand old age of 23. Uh, <laughs> um, Why am I allowed to talk to you? <laughs> um, but yeah, just... Oh, just the... And it obviously is kind of this nostalgic to this obviously it's a, a guy looking back on his on his childhood and this particular childhood but but yeah just the the ending and the fact that it just it felt quite cold at, at the end and it's just this is a horrible thing to leave like don't leave your childhood don't go talk to your friends more like you're you're only like 12 or however old they are i just yeah it um yeah it just made me cry a little Aww. bit at the end <laughs> That's um, you know, it's that's a film I haven't. Uh, you again, you might have inspired me to revisit it um, soon because it's a film I haven't watched in a long, long time, and I've been I've actually been kind of thinking back on a lot of Stephen King stories because the uh, the trailer for it dropped this mm. week. So I was thinking about that story and all of his other more classic stories. I was talking with a friend about um, Salem's Lot. So Stephen King is kind of 
been burrowing his way into my brain the way that only Stephen King can do. Um, mm. So maybe I'll, I'll I'll go back and and watch that one. I, I I'm somewhat ashamed to say that it never made me cry. No, um, but I. I, I, do, I do. I do cry a lot. If, oh, okay. I, if, if anyone dies, like that's it. It's it's done. It's a done deal. Gotcha. Uh, well, that's good. To, I, I, hey, listen. Maybe maybe in my old age, I'm becoming more of an easy mark. So if if it makes me cry, I'll let you know. Okay. In the movie of your life, who plays you? For this question, I used to usually just go with Emma Stone. Um, she's an easy one, I guess. She's young, white, and seems to pull off red hair pretty well. Um, <laughs> but kind of since she's kind of gotten super famous and successful, I feel like it's a bit of an obnoxious answer. It's like, yeah, t- Emma Stone would totally play me. Okay. Um, but I'd got to thinking that I think any of the actresses in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, I think any of them, like Aubrey Plaza, Anna Kendrick, Alison Pill, I think I think they would... They yeah, oh, I don't know if I could go for Brie Larson. No, I think she would be. I think she would. Be, think she would be bored in a film of my life. I think she. <laughs> think she need a bit more adventure, a bit more. The win- <laughs> uh, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Maybe yeah, maybe like, Elizabeth like Ramona Winstead, Flowers yeah. herself. Like, do, do you fancy yourself a Ramona maybe, Flowers sort? <laughs> You're the kind of woman Again, who can skate I- away, and the, the snow will melt behind you. <laughs> I, I do own skates, not rollerblades, but skates. So maybe there's something there. Yeah, maybe. But I would never ever dye my hair. So well, uh, that, that's your that's your trademark at this that's point. That's my if thing. You, yeah. you know, if you do that, people aren't going to recognize you. No, I'd have to com- completely new blog name. It would just it would ruin my whole brand yeah. or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, that's I, I like that answer. It's a very ambivalent answer, so we'll, we'll run with that. And when I get you back up for episode three, I'll I'll make sure I put that in. Um, and of course, you know you're you're playing to the you're playing to the crowd here because that's a film that's set in my home city. So yeah. very nicely done. Um, last but not least, what are you watching next? Well, it's the start of April. It's not a great slim pickings out there for no new releases, I have to say. But um, I've not seen Kong Skull Island yet, so I think that might be... Um, my mum's coming up soon, because um, it's my birthday soon, to watch something. And she's a she's an action, you know, good action fan. She doesn't like anything that talks too much, so I think that's going to be a good one for us to see. Yeah. I, I haven't seen that one. It's been playing here for about three weeks now, and I keep wondering whether or not i want to take the bait i might i might like i think we're going to go into like a week or two where there's nothing coming out so i might go back to that i do like those i do like those monster movies like i like things like godzilla and and the uh the peter jackson king kong um it's kind of my it's my stupid uh brand like it's my it's it's my kind of crap is what i like to say (laughs) Uh, yeah i uh it's definitely not the worst thing out which isn't much of a compliment, but no. yeah. You got Brie Larson in that. You've got Tom Hiddleston in that. So at the very least, you you know you've got eye candy. Yeah, John so. C. Riley's always fun. Like he's yeah. in everything, I think. But yeah. you yeah. know. <laughs> All right, that, that wouldn't be such a bad idea. <laughs> Well, there we go. That's more about Rebecca. We are going to eschew the other side this episode. We're trying to get a quick episode in um, and get ourselves back on schedule. So um, we brought this episode together a little quickly. So we're just going to talk about the new slang in just a moment. We're obviously going to be talking about the first train spotting film a lot. So if you've never seen that, well, first of all, if you've never seen that, I'm not sure why you'd be listening much further. But if you've never seen that before, Warren, that we'll be talking about that one in all of its detail. Um, but please do come back right after this. It's time for the new slang. And the new slang is T2 train spotting. All we hear is radio 
92 Train Spotting is directed by Danny Boyle. It's written by John Hodge, based on the characters created by Irvin Welsh. It stars Ewan McGregor, Johnny Lee Miller, Robert Carlyle, Ewan Bremner, and Angela Nadiakova. It's been 20 years since Mark Renton ran off from his mates with a bag stuffed with 16,000 quid. In that time, some things have changed, and some things have very much stayed the same. Now, 20 years later, life sends Renton back to Edinburgh and forces him back to face his past, as he does when he's confronted and propositioned by Simon, who used to answer to Sick Boy. He has an idea to make money, of course, and can use Renton's help. Or perhaps he just flat out wants to use him. Add to this a seething Bigby who wants revenge on Renton for ripping him off, and a fragile Spud who is still fighting with his addiction to smack, and you get T2. Trainspotting 2 is looking at the present from the point of view of the past, and when thinking back on Trainspotting, I couldn't help but consider the way it was a certain film for a certain generation. It was a mild rebuke of the promise of the 90s, it was a dark totem in the age of Britpop, but it spoke to a certain age bracket, and... My guest today wasn't quite in that demographic. Pop Quiz Hotshot, how does this entire franchise rank for you? And was this a film you even latched on to before? And also, was it a film that you even wanted a sequel to? Um, Before doing this podcast, I could barely remember the first film, so I went back to rewatch it. But I guess even though I wasn't... I definitely wasn't of the time. I think I was three when this when this film came out. Maybe maybe slightly older. Um, but being even though it's a Scottish film, it being being part of the British film um, umbrella. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's definitely one that was on my radar from fairly maybe 16 something like that when we were starting to especially when the the Shaun of the Dead films come out and British cinema was something to definitely um, be aware of. And I think I first watched the first film in university um, because my best friend loves it. It's it's one of her favourite films and she has the Choose Life poster on her wall still. Nice. Uh, um, but wanting a sequel to, not really, because I couldn't really remember the ending. So I didn't, it, yeah, it wasn't really one that I... I could have taken it or leave it, leaved it to be honest, but it was, it was definitely one that was on my radar and it's definitely one the first film I was meaning to go back to because I knew I knew how good it was and it's just such a it's just a big film in British cinema Mm -hmm. and see like the reason why I ask is because this was along with it being such a huge film in British film history uh you know especially from the decade that it comes from um it, it sometimes really strikes me of as a film of its moment and when you get down to movies of a certain age um, like, like, and I mean age is in like a certain time. I always wonder how, what the legacy is of those films. So for instance, I know a lot of people who go back to a film like Easy Rider, um, and because they weren't alive in the sixties, they don't really see how it was a totem for its time, or they'll go back to like an eighties movie, like the big chill, and they won't really see yuppie culture and, and, and that self-examination. So you know, where I I'm older than you and this film kind of came out in more of a sweet spot. For me, I, I always wonder that about a film like Train Spotting is if, if a person looks back on it, does it age well or is it something that seems to be kind of like permanently stuck in 1996? I think it's very much of its time. I don't I don't really uh, relate to 
I don't do heroin, but I don't really, I don't really, really relate to it a lot in terms of in terms of the music, in terms of any of the pop culture that's that was around. It's I think it's very much of its time, and it's also very Scottish as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, it's I think it really is like a snapshot of exactly the story it's trying to tell and it might relate to um to bigger themes of, of friendship and, and youth on another scale but i think um i think it's very much a film of its culture definitely i have to say this this film it really did play well when i saw it in the cinema and i have to kind of preface this by saying that i i saw this um so in my hometown of manchester which is where the director danny boyle is from mm. and so i saw this um, I saw this film followed up with a and a with Danny Boyle. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so it was perfect. The crowd, the crowd, the audience um, were obviously big fans that had booked in advance at this sold out screen. Um, it was a fantastic atmosphere and the, the energy in the room was just was just great. So I don't know if I'm kind of it had it would it have been different had i not had a had that just that q a with danny boyle afterwards and had i been like one of two people and a sunday morning um screening would have been different but i it i i think it did really well as a follow-up i think it did really well um I, the the obviously the two do play on each other there are it's a reflection and a yeah a catch-up of what's what's happened um since the last film and i i think it worked really really well i loved it i thought it was a fantastic film well it's funny that you mentioned that you weren't sure if the fact that the the buzz in the room got to you and and you know put on kind of screening goggles to your overall impression because Mm. i i've actually been um I've been privy to the other side of that. Like I've gone to see a movie that has a fan culture around it on an opening night when I'm not a fan of the franchise and I just don't get it. Like everybody is, is laughing at things that I'm, I'm not catching or everybody is cheering mm. at a moment that don't really like, you know, hit for me. So sometimes that can actually, in my opinion, can actually work the other way. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so no. So the fact that you're, you, you went to that screening and like you said, like this wasn't, this was a film you liked, but it wasn't, it's not exactly your film, right? No, okay. no, definitely not. So, so no. So the fact that it worked well for you, um, you know, especially with that charged atmosphere, it really says something about the movie. I liked it as well. I, I was kind of surprised because I didn't know, what I was going to be getting into, uh, sequels aren't always the greatest of ideas. Sometimes when you, um, you know, so sometimes it's, it's nice to go back to the past, but other times it's probably something that's left there. But, um, this film, it had things to say. We'll, we'll kind of get, as we go along here, we'll get into what I think it, it had to say that it said well, and some things it didn't say so well, but, um, all things considered T2 is, is a really good sequel in terms of going back to to where we started 20 years ago um it, it's it's got the energy of the first one it's got some of the bitterness still of the first one it's got i feel like it's got more hope the first one has a little bit of hope this one i feel like has a little bit more um that i i, I kind of believe that that's a sign of maturity um but we start you know we we have to i think when we talk about this film we have to start with renton and you know, Ewan McGregor, it's it's kind of crazy to, to see him at the center of this story again because it's where he got his start, right? Like, he did Shallow yeah. Grave right before Train Spotting, but it was Train Spotting that led him to Star Wars franchise and his movie career, the, his, his big movie stardom after that. 
Renton in this movie is is kind of an interesting case because for starters, when we meet him, he's ru- he's running on a treadmill. You know, we we saw yeah. him in the first movie and he was running for for his freedom. This time he's just running to stay in shape and he's running in place. Um, you know, finding Renton in this in this state twenty years later. What, how how did you how did you take to that? Was it was it kind of hopeful? Was it were you disappointed at where Renton is and and how McGregor is playing him now? I can't say I was I was, I was disappointed. Um, I don't I don't really know what I expected, but. Um... I guess it's just, it's not funny, ha-ha, but it's just humorous. It's just kind of a, like, look what you were and look where you are now. Like, I don't know if either of them is a very good uh, place in your life to be. Um, Like, running away from having stolen something or just running because you have to keep fit because you're middle-aged now and (laughs) that's kind of where life goes and you know you've got to keep fit if you want to keep your health up good thing is he's he's in a better place like you know like he's he's off the smack now he's he looks much more he's he looks healthy like you you look back on him in that first movie and i don't know i I gotta believe that it was method acting but he was skinny (laughs) as a stick he was you know just just almost gaunt because of of the way that his character was hitting the drugs so hard so in that respect, it's like, I'm like, okay, you know, you took that 16,000 pounds and you made something of your life, regardless of how happy or how happy or how not happy he is. And I, you know, obviously he's not that happy, no. but that, I, I think that was, that was the most heartwarming thing is that Renton got out, you know, Renton, he left Scotland. He made something of his life, even though now the state of things has him back. 20 years of success is still pretty good. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But I don't know. It's just for me, it's it doesn't really matter how long away it was. He still he still came came back. Um, I don't know. And for me, that still kind of has is definitely definitely a better place now um, on paper. But I don't think that he sees it that way. Oh, so, so wait a second. Are you disappointed that he came back, or you're encouraged that he came oh, back? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm encouraged that he came that he came back. Um, but I guess because he had he had literally no other choice because he didn't come back for a lot of other big milestones that happened um, no. in his life while while he was away. Um, so I guess yeah, that things have gotten so bad for him that all he could do was was come back, knowing that he'd left I, all of these friends behind. I mean, yeah. I, I I think I I think I follow what you're saying is that you know he got to a place that could be very very destructive. You know, like like he when he when he was when he was in this position when he's like you know getting sick and falling down and his wife leaves him, he could have very easily just gone back onto the drugs and and imploded but instead he went home yeah. so that's encouraging yeah okay. yeah that is in- yeah definitely i think that was you know going home wasn't as bad an option i guess no which him. is funny because a-, a lot of times going back home sometimes is seen as a failure right it's like yeah you couldn't yeah. make it out there and now here you are yeah definitely so, okay um and then on the other side of things we have you know we we have we have sick boy doing his thing but i, I will come back to him because i want to talk about him in a bit the other character in this movie that really struck a chord for me was spud mm-hmm. um because first of all he's the only one who's still every bit as damaged as we saw before he's trying to get his shit together but when we see him, he declares still that 
he is still using and he's using because heroin is his only friend. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of a sad place to find him, I think. It's really sad because, as you said, um, you know, with, with Renton, it, it made something of his life for 20 years. And 20 years is a long time to be on heroin. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm surprised he even made it this far, to be honest. If yeah. Still, still use it. I'm surprised he's still, he's actually got a flat and, um... Well, if you want to yeah. call, if you want to call that a flat. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he has four, he has four walls. Um, that's, that's, that's it, really. <laughs> he has four walls and not much of a view. It's really sad, but because he is one of the most likable characters, I guess, because he is such a, not failure, but I don't know. Bad luck just seems to follow him around. Yeah, but I think the the thing that I think this film actually does really well is the way it turns Spud into the beating heart of this story in mm. that he he's trying to channel his addiction into other things, right? Like he tries running and he tries for a second or two he tries boxing. Um <laughs> but you like you can see that he's not looking just to get rich quick the way that Sick Boy and Renton are. Um and you know, to to a lesser degree, he's not looking to to game the system the same way that Bigby is he just wants to live he just wants to provide and wants to live a life that's free of dependent um and you know you get him into this thing where he starts writing and it's really sweet and it's really beautiful that he's kind of the only person in this story maybe aside from Veronica sick boy's girlfriend who is really just in it to live everybody else seems to want to try to be getting ahead or getting out or something he just wants to live normally and it turns into something very sweet yeah and i think as well um if we can say that spud is a father um now and i don't know if i to me that's got a big thing to do with it is because when he was young and he and he had he had nothing yeah well well he had nothing and everything to live for i guess being um being a, a young kid um but but now there is more and you can see that that's really made a difference um into the this well a little bit of a difference in the decision he makes because he's still taking heroin yeah. but that that still affects him and that he he does that he does think about his son and and Gail and that that is at least factors into his decisions he's not just he's not just a um an addict that i guess i guess lies or does whatever to get his hit and you can see as well when he does um, when he does go to those two lads to, to buy it and just that horrible like sadness in his face and you can mm. see that he's just like it, it's like well I've got nothing else to do so I may as well do this but at the back of his mind you can you, you know that he, he's got a kid now and you know that's really important to him and that's just the really sad thing about Spud. That's the thing the other thing that's great about it is you know of course he's played by Ewan Bremner and Bremner has this really expressive face yes. and it seems to really really draw up the pathos now that he's you know 40 something as opposed to when mm-hmm. he was just a young 20 something you really look at him and you kind of feel both the like the desperation and the 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 earnestness in him and and just kind of the haunted way that he can't ever seem to get ahead and so i I think that's the thing is when you when you listen to his voice when you listen to that you must have had a much easier time with the accents than i did (laughs) by the way i I, I did but they are pretty scottish like that is is as scottish as it gets yeah yeah when you listen to to spud's thick scottish accent telling these stories and explaining things like we i think we we meet him when he goes to a a, a, 
an NA meeting and, and you hear him explaining how being an hour late for everything just really screwed up his day, which screwed up his life. It's, it's, it, it's a thing that only Bremner, I think could have pulled off um, yeah. just in, in terms of his demeanor. Um, you know, this, the, the curious thing about this movie is, and you know, you might've noticed this when you watched the first one this week, the sequel isn't really as dark as the first one. No, absolutely not. Um, I mean, if you think about the first one with the horrible dead baby um, uh, and things like that, no, it, it's 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 not as dark at all. It's a bit not not grittier. Um, it's a bit more artistic and stylized. Um, I, th- I in fact, when I was when I was watching T two, I I uh, and hadn't watched Train Spotting in ages. I thought that that's how um, the first film must have been shot. But no, the the shot quite quite differently I would oh, say. Oh yeah, they have a budget this um, time. Yeah, they have a budget. They can do a bit do a bit more. But um but no it's 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 definitely not not as dark as that. Definitely not. See no. but I, I, the thing I wonder though is that I, I wonder if that serves the story or not because part of what made that first one so impactful is along with them running around and getting into their goofy shenanigans with, you know, bed sheets and and mm. you know clubbing and all that kind of thing there was that really black stripe underlining everything of sickness and detox and death and just that you know that that grim uh, um danger that was kind of surrounding these hooligans and yeah i you know don't get me wrong i don't know that i necessarily wanted to go back there <laughs> But at the same time, it makes for an interesting match set if you have something that's so bleak next to something that's still equally... It has as much moral compromise because we've got mm-hmm. people who are still ripping off credit cards and, and you know trying to scam public money. Um, but at the same time, it's very bright and glossy. And I, I, I wonder how they, how they make as a set. That yeah, that's, that's really interesting because obviously you don't have... There is some drug use in the... Um, in the in the sequel but there isn't there isn't any of that and there is the you know the bright lights of the gym and um when when they're trying to get funding for their pub or whatever whatever it is they're doing there is this kind of it's just very very officey and very modern very modern officey and even when in in uh, simon or sick boys um aunt's pub i think that's when they try to i think there's some like green light coming from somewhere i think um i think i can see and he's got uh, that's very dark, and there are some parts that are very dark. But no, it's very, it's very like um, artificial lighting, I mm-hmm. would say, in a lot of a lot of places, which gives this this modern stale look. But yeah, not not necessarily dark. But which you're which you're absolutely right. Um, but I think, but I did really like the stylistic differences in this, just in terms of just in terms of the camera angles, really. I, th- I was like, ooh, that looks really good. Like, oh, like, oh, that just that shot just like re- looks really good. But yeah, it's definitely different. So do you think maybe film. maybe that drift away from all of that darkness and all of that danger, that's just something that comes with getting older? Like, uh, you know, when, when I think about it through, I, I would hope that 40 somethings are not in that same situation. <laughs> You would think after twenty years, something, <laughs> something yeah. had changed, and that's and yeah, that's I... and that's why Spud's apartment seems to stick out so much. Is he's the only one who really hasn't completely got out? 
So when yeah. we see those bleak conditions again, we're like, oh, geez. It's literally that the light's on, like they're waking up now. They're waking up to how they, they can separate how they used to be to how they are now. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a definite, definite like thematic shift, shift yeah. in there, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Now you mentioned him when you were talking about the screening that you went to, but uh, what is, what's your relationship with Danny Boyle? Is he a director that you, you cling to? Is he just kind of there? Um, definitely whenever films that he's maybe since uh, Slumdog 2008 um, I will definitely um, go and watch them if not just for a bit of hometown pride I guess but <laughs> I've not I've actually I've not seen Shallow Grave um, oh, wow. yeah I've not seen it it's definitely on the list um, but, but no I've not seen it but it, he definitely is one that I do want to catch up on okay. on all of his repertoire eventually yeah, definitely yeah he um, over time he became quite a draw for me actually around the time I started writing about film to be honest he, before that he was just kind of around and and he for a while there he kind of he kind of drifted like when he have you ever seen a movie he made around 2006 i think it was or 2007 called millions uh no i haven't but i actually do really want to watch that isn't it very good it's a sweet little movie and i think it was it was the last movie he made before slumdog millionaire and when he made it, it was it didn't really seem to fit with everything else he made. It was very, very sweet, um, very bright, very, you know, uh, family friendly, um, which he doesn't usually do. Um, but around that time was kind of when I filled in some of the blanks and started keeping up with all of his modern stuff. I, I count myself a fan uh, now, for sure. Anytime I hear he's got a new movie and sometimes he lets me down. So I, was, I, I guess I was going to say is like. With what you've seen of Danny Boyle since you first got into him, I guess stuff like 127 Hours and and Slumdog Millionaire and those kinds of movies, how does this how does this fit for you? Is this a good fit? Is this him doing something different? Is this him getting back to what he used to do? Well, it's weird for me because I feel like uh, I'm I'm sure he does have uh, like a signature you know mark that he puts through all of his films, but he makes for me he makes very different films yeah they're i mean you can't really compare the beach to steve jobs very well i don't i don't think um i think they make a pretty good set actually really (laughs) like stylistically i see i see a bit of steve jobs in the beach yeah okay um or maybe 28 days later and slumped up earlier. I don't know. Those are different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or trance. I don't know. But I, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know where, where it fits. It's definitely one of his better ones, but yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure where it fits to be honest, because I can't, they're just, he's a bit, he's a bit everywhere for me in yeah. kind of like so, what some, some years he fancies doing this, then he fancies doing this and something else a bit different. Um, yeah. I think for me, it's somewhere in the middle because he's, he's done some films that I've absolutely adored. And I'm thinking of stuff like 127 hours and shallow grave and he, and the original train spotting. And then he's done stuff that I've really disliked. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking square at you trance. Um, <laughs> But so this is kind of somewhere in the middle. And I think what was going to lead me to my next question is because it's hampered a little bit by the first film in that I wonder if it's too nostalgic. Um, Sick Boy at one point when they go back to the, the hillside where, where Tommy is buried in, uh, in, in this movie, um, he accuses Renton of being bogged down with nostalgia and calling him a tourist in his own past 
And I, I think if I have a, a, a qualm with this movie, that's it. That, that sometimes it gets a little too nostalgic for the first movie and doesn't tell its own story. Did you ever did you ever notice that? Oh, definitely. This this film um, is very much a um, a product of of its uh, origins. Definitely, um, it, it it would absolutely. I don't even know how this this film could could really well it couldn't exist without the other one but i mean i don't know how someone could watch this and fully appreciate it without having seen the first one no. um <laughs> definitely not but i feel like that's that's the, the bigger story that it, it's telling it's because they did have this this youth that was that was um in clubs and heroin and very much um on friendship whether it was a good kind of friendship or a bad kind of friendship but i think he's telling that story of 20 years have passed there they're in their forties, and if if we're gonna say that the first film was a, a film about friendship or youth or something, this film is very much a film about time. I mean, where like, hey, you're not immortal. <laughs> like, people, you, you're gonna get older, and things get like with sick boys dying his hair, and just just things like little little things that are um, like sewn all the way through the film. It's it's a film about getting older and time getting away from you having kids and responsibilities and a different way of looking at things and i think that that and also trying to maybe desperately claw back some of the some of your youth even if it wasn't particularly a a good time like they were on heroin but i feel like i mean they were still younger and i feel like that's what they're clasping for like yeah it might not have been they were trying to stay on benefits and the, the baby died and horrible things happened but they were still younger and that i think is kind of what this this film is that they're just going to keep getting older and they're going to try and claw as much of that youthful fun and carefreeness as much as they as much as they want to but they're never gonna get to that that stage again so i kind of see that film in in this way that it's it's very much a a product of of that you know the youth that they don't have anymore so i feel like that it needs to take all of this this youth from the film as if it's like clawing onto it like you're saying you're saying it's you're saying it's a cautionary tale well i don't know maybe not a cautionary tale it's just like a it's just a oh what's the word um i don't know it's it's just that like it's it's a parable i don't even know if it's a parable I i think it's just setting it out there as in you know these were these were people that had fairly wild lives and they had a lot of fun i mean that opening that opening scene of renton running and he's just like laughing mm-hmm. manically at this car is like that's what i feel like they remember so i yeah. feel like i'm not too sure if this film is is as much as a maybe a cautionary tale um but also of just of a well this is what's kind of going to happen i guess see you, you make it sound so sad um yeah. <laughs> see the funny i guess the funny thing is for me is where it came down to the execution of it so all of that is just baked right into this story but then every now and then the story seems to want to have a little bit too long of a walk down memory lane so i'm thinking of we were feverishly trying to remember the title of the song uh before this show went on but i'm thinking of born slippy um the from the first movie and there's a moment where sick boy is looking at the the road where he used to go to score smack and you hear just faintly in the background those iconic opening chords to born slippy 
And I liked that. Or I liked the first time we saw um, Renton, you know, a lot of it is tied to music. Renton just drop the needle into Lust for Life very quickly and then take it back out saying like, nope, nope, we're not going back there. But then the film does linger quite long and repeat beats from the first movie so of course as i said we go back to the hill and we have the train pulling away and have the shot where they're all standing on the on the platform or we have you know we have renton looking at the car windshield again and laughing and we even get renton to include a new version of his rant and those were the moments that i wish weren't there i wish this film had made new moments or just kept those illusions ever so slightly more vague um, because that was where I kind of started getting pulled out and I couldn't concentrate so much on now as I was thinking about then. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the, the life speech that he does in, uh, in the second film, all you're going to be thinking through that is it's like, well, it's, it, it doesn't hold anything up to the original. So why put it in if it's just going to be, <sighs> I don't know. And the hilarious thing of that is, is at least in the first in the first uh, film, when he said the, the choose life speech, um, he was kind of like, ignoring it. It's like, I'm not going to choose life. I'm going to choose something else. I'm going to like, you know, I'm not going to washing machine or whatever else he talks about. But then, you know, that in the second film, when it comes up and he's putting choose Facebook and Snapchat. And, it's, and all I could think about is, well, we've seen you use Snapchat. So he's kind of just saying that he has chosen this crappy mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what point it served because i was like are you just saying that whatever you've chosen is bad and you're warning this this woman not to follow in your footsteps i'm not sure i don't i don't know what purpose it served yeah it definitely didn't have the same same effect well see it's, it's funny because to jump ahead a little bit you know usually we end our, our our review with a souvenir my souvenir from this film would be that speech because the one thing I liked about that speech is here's a guy who was very bitter and very sarcastic 20 years ago and now he's even more bitter even more sarcastic even more jaded talking about equally selfish and consumeristic things and like you said he is just falling prey to all of it so I like I actually quite enjoy the fact that there is a new speech (laughs) and that you know you can in, in a way it plays off that other one because that other one you know we're all so jaded and rebellious when we're 17 like here's all the things the world wants me to do and I'm not gonna do any of them so uh but then, you know, you go 20 years on, it's like, yeah, I did most of them. So <laughs> I, I love that that speech is there. I, it's, it's, it's so strange. Maybe that, could, maybe that could just be the age difference between us coming in. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. Um, but I, I, I actually kind of loved that that was there. That was the, I think that might have been the only callback that I liked. Yeah, I don't know. I guess... Um... I guess it, for me it was just like, well, you've given up, haven't you? You were trying to. You came back to Scotland. You came. You came back to Scotland, and what's really changed? Like you just. I thought you were going to come back. I don't know. And he's just fallen back into his old routine, I guess. But yeah, with the jadedness that you said he's, that he's definitely got got yeah. more of now. Um, before we leave this film, the one actually last thing I wanted to ask you about was the role of Veronica. So we've got this new character, the only new character in this whole story. Yeah. So so she's um, she's an immigrant from Slovakia. She's working to kind of like a lot of immigrants to get to get something better. And she's buddied up with Sick Boy. Um, they're trying to scam the system and kind of have her as work as somewhere in between a prostitute and a madam. And, and she's watching the shenanigans of these 
idiots and and just in in some ways enabling them in other ways trying to completely distance herself was she did she work for you was she enough of a of a female presence in this movie or was she just a device i liked her and i didn't i mean diane in the first film as the um school girl going clubbing at night she was she was interesting and she put on these many many masks and she was just really just she was really intriguing a really intriguing character um but but no veronica in this film she was she was more than a she was more than a a device but she she's not she wasn't well drawn enough for you no definitely not definitely not see it's interesting the one thing i thought was was really fascinating is that you look at uh where she is and how she gets the guys to respond and then how diane gets written to respond in the only scene that that she comes back into play in this movie and it's totally different you know it's, it's also totally different in the first one so it has something to say i think about the character more than the actual actor in this case and and what they are there to bring out so mm-hmm. i guess I, I kind of like you. I would have liked a new version of Diane, not just any old random woman dropped into this story. Yeah, but maybe that was the maybe that was T 2s way of changing up a bit and not being like the Hangover, the Hangover Two. Like maybe That's they were trying too. to change change the formula a, a tiny bit. But yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Well, we end as I said. We end every review here on the Matinee Cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could, you would take away from this movie and keep. Uh, mine is that speech. I would hang that on my wall as as, <laughs> as a fully grown person who you know, like my my decorating tastes have changed, but I would still. Talk Totally holding that poster. What would be your uh, souvenir from T two Train Spotting? Funnily enough, you actually already said mine, and it was it well, it was going to be um, Sick Boy's line. You're a tourist in your own youth. That mm. was going to be my my line. But but instead, since we've already mentioned it, I'll take the um, really weird song that uh, Renton and Sick Boy sing in that really weird working. Oh, that's such a... See, you know what I love about that you mentioned that is. That was when I was really loving this movie. When they get yes. the new shenanigans to get into, new scams to run, I love that so much. It, so it just works much. so well. And when you when when you think it isn't going to get any any more fun, it turns midnight and they can scam them yeah. off even more. It's like, yeah. oh, that's perfect. It's These people great. know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, I, I I don't know if I can, but I'd love to find a way to include that song in this podcast somehow. <laughs> we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Rebecca Sharp, what do you give T2 Train Spotting on a scale of one to four? I'm going to give it a three out of four. I thought it was a really, really solid film. Um, it could have done more to flesh out the the plots in different areas just to make it a bit more of its own film away from the first film but no i thought it was i thought it was a really good film really well done and still fantastic fantastic characters still so yeah Very cool. three out I, yeah i i gave it a three myself um the it, i feel like it could have been better like i like mine mine is a little bit more of a, a negative three than a positive three i really liked it I, I i think this is one of the better films that's playing out there right now and that people would be really well served to see it. I think if you haven't seen the first one, you are so screwed. Um, <laughs> you will not get a lot of what's going on. And that's why actually I hold it back to a three instead of a three and a half or a four is I feel like it leans a little bit too heavily on that first film sometimes, but I still enjoyed seeing what these characters are up to. And I really did enjoy that message of 
nostalgia and getting too caught up in nostalgia can be a bad thing. Um, mostly because of the point of where I am in my life and I'm 20 years removed from, you know, when I was the age of a lot of these characters in the first film. So I think that's a good message for me <laughs> right now. Um, hey, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're being too hard on this movie or maybe we're being too kind on this movie. Let me know what you think. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter where I'm matinee underscore CA or facebook.com slash dark matinee. And that is it for this short and sweet episode uh 174 of the matinee cast come on back monday april 17th for episode 175 i'm not sure what we're going to talk about just yet we might talk about the zookeeper's wife um there might be some other things playing that uh we can talk about i'm open to suggestions let me know rebecca is at almostginger.com do you have anything coming up this week that you want to plug that uh, people can read on your site I don't, I'm afraid. I've been very, very bad with blogging this year. But hey, go on almostginger.com and read up on something that I wrote that was good a while ago. <laughs> do, do you have any more travels planned? Because I always do like when you post your pictures and your, your travels. Um, my my next one is actually I'm going to I'm going to Cannes Film Festival. Oh, that's, um, you are! Son of a bitch, that's right. How did you do that? <laughs> uh, God knows. Um, but yeah, so that'll be my next one. And that's, oh, that's next I'm, one. <laughs> I cannot wait for that. That is that is going to be wonderful. I, I, I expect lots of updates. Uh, oh, they will there. be. <laughs> Cannes, to me, always seems like another planet. So good luck in your space exploration. <laughs> if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can people find you? Uh, I am at Almost Ginger without the E because some uh, lucky SOB got there before me. Um, <laughs> so yes, Almost Ginger without the E. Gotcha. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes Store. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback, as I mentioned, can be sent to ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or Facebook.com slash dark matinee. I'd love to hear what you think about T2 train spotting or suggestions uh, for the next show or for any other shows coming up in the next little stretch. Rebecca, any final thoughts before I let you get back to your Saturday and your tea? Uh, don't be a tourist in your own youth. Well said. For Rebecca, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee. Yeah.